Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. It's um, it's heady days here in the world of the NBA bubble and coronavirus and football. Alex, very Sam, big question mark there. Yeah, I don't. I almost don't think I put enough emphasis on it. What is happening with football? Is it happening? No, probably not. What are the players talking about? What is going on? Right, so the much question, is going on. Explain the question you asked is for one Mr. Mark Emmert, and I don't believe he has an answer for it. I think that's fair. I don't think he has many answers about many things. So, okay. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the news came out today that the Big Ten is, is canceling their season, um, or at least canceling the fall season. And kind of at the same time, there has been this, movement from players that they are extremely pro playing in the fall. And um, I just feel like this is another situation surrounding the coronavirus, in which case everybody is wrong. Um, Like I, I just don't think that I've seen really much intelligent discussion about this um, in general. Um, you know, first of all, like, you know, the players coming out, I think, A, like if the players, it seems like they're trying to take steps towards unionizing, having a players association. I think that would be a good step forward in college sports. I think that would be a good thing to happen. Um, at the same time, that does not mean that I think there should be a college football season. And that really seems to be the basis of what they're building this movement around is they want to play. Um, and just real quick, my take on this situation is like, it doesn't really matter to me. Like, I mean, like I look at it, like everybody in this country, we've had to give up shit that we love doing that we've worked really hard to be able to do. And it just seems like another group of people that are like, yeah, but we still want to do it because we worked hard. And I, I just don't think that that is a possible situation right now. Like um, this entire coronavirus pandemic has been kind of built on people's refusal to kind of just not, not do what they normally do. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the crazy thing, like what makes this an even tougher situation is like they've been seeing sports around the world for a while now because Mm -hmm. other countries handle this better. And they're even starting to see sports in the United States. Now the NBA bubble is going off without a hitch. Seemingly they've had no positive cases in a long time. Their bubble is very effective. So like theoretically college football could happen. And I'm still confident the NFL will happen because they'll put the resources together to make that happen. And the reason college football, I'm confident that the cancellation of the season will hold firm is because the NCAA does not want to put forth those resources to protect their players and bubble them off for an entire season, because that would be the NCAA admitting that these players deserve special treatment, that they are, in fact, more than amateur athletes, and the NCAA will never budge on that, They because that would forever alter how their structure is on profiting billions off of unpaid labor. And we've seen time and time again the biggest issue being the NCAA football video games that everybody loves is incredibly popular and they make so much money off of it. 
And instead of changing the rules to where the players could profit off of their likeness and they would have to share the money over this, they literally canceled everyone's favorite sports game for the foreseeable future. So, like, there is not a realistic world where the NCAA is going to admit that these players deserve special treatment and, like, they can do things to where they can put the liability of risking them of getting coronavirus onto the players because there's no realist, like there's no greater benefit to them to do that. And so that's just the NCAA's selfishness and greed is why this isn't going to happen. I think, I think it's also, can I just say real quick, I think it's important to like emphasize that it's not just like, you know, Mark Emmert, the face of the NCAA, this big, bad, corporation that's ruining everything like it's the individual universities that are just as involved in that process like they don't want their athletes to become more than what they are now either like college presidents are part of this system just as much as like a mark emmert type person right let's take a second to uh take a step back and run through this timeline so the major event that happened yesterday was you had well so the you have to go back to i think a couple weeks ago was when the hashtag we are united um group of players uh first emerged and so this is a group of pac-12 based athletes Mm -hmm. um who came forward with a list of demands that they wanted to see met um or they would they were threatening to sit out any season that was to happen. Um, and right. these were both um, uh, demands related specifically to COVID protections, um, but also were included um, certain financial obligations to ensure that s- other sports wouldn't be cut, um, right. explicitly naming um, administrative salaries as the places those cuts should be made instead. Um, and also, some very um, forward language in terms of uh, examining revenue sharing models. Um, Yesterday, we saw another player-led movement, the hashtag we want to play movement. Um, And this was players expressing their desire to see a fall football season happen. um, Primarily, um, you know, and to make sure that whatever needed to happen for that to happen would happen. Um, right. And then yesterday evening, the um, We Are United movement and the We Want to Play movement officially uh, united. Um, they joined forces uh, and released a joint statement um, establishing a desire from this player led movement for COVID protections to allow mm-hmm. a fall season to occur. Um, and naming specifically the formation of a National College Football Players Association. Um, Right. Which I am... So, I think that these demands are... I I think this is a really interesting time, right? Um, I would point out to people that this is not the first time football players have tried to unionize. Right. Northwestern's mm-hmm. football team attempted to unionize um, back in 2015, and the National Labor Relations Board um, did not accept their claim that they were university employees. Um, now, 
a much like a united front of players. And this is prime. It's worth noting these are primarily players from the Power Five who are parts of these movements. The lower conferences, um, like that, is a whole other situation, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how this movement either expands to accept them or differentiates itself from them. At which point, um, you know, if you're you're talking about it, if you're talking about a theoretical situation in which the power five players are unionized and the group of five players aren't, like this is two different sports leagues. Um, but that's like way in the future and like purely yeah. hypothetical at this point. Um, so yeah, so um, this is um, this is an interesting time again, uh, as we've talked about. It's probably just not smart to have a fall season. Um, right. We all would well, like there to be one. That was never the question, right? Yeah. No, well, I, I I heard that the media didn't want it. That's what I'm hearing. I heard that the college football media did not want a season all along. Right. Well, that's that to me is, I think, pretty much universally the wrong people are getting blamed for this. Like... I mean, yes, I have I have no time for a possible like the media wanted this. Like it makes no sense. There's no evidence like they make money off of the sport happening. That's obviously not the case. People are just utterly ridiculous. Um, but the thing that I I'm having trouble kind of coming to terms with, I guess, is that like to me, there's really only one governing body that you can place the blame on college football not happening and it isn't the ncaa it is the u.s government body right the only way that we could have had college sports this year is if we had gotten the pandemic under control and we haven't done anything to make that happen and so now pressure is being put on like i honestly like if you think about it like what was the ncaa supposed to do for the last few months like people are talking about we've had months to plan for this and i'm like what are they supposed to plan for like any plan they would have created would have involved the pandemic becoming more under control like i'm like the bubble is not a realistic scenario in college sports i mean even if you just go with power five teams like what are you gonna do first of all there's no place to do it yeah, right? we talked through like the impossibility of the logistics of a college football bubble on a previous podcast. Right. Um, the numbers are, the numbers would be staggering. It's just not possible. There's too many yeah. people. So um, I mean, to me, it just comes down to the fact that they are getting like the NCAA. All these decision makers are getting like insanely criticized. And like, yes, there are things to criticize them over. Like, there's no doubt about that. But I don't see how this situation specifically is their fault because a i mean it's an impossible situation there is not a plan good enough to pull off a college football season in the fall there just isn't yeah like yeah the reality is that the ncaa as an organization exists to ensure that players don't get paid or receive health care it doesn't like this isn't solving the pandemic isn't what it's for and it's not something it's equipped to do like no and and really, this gets to the other heart of the, like the we want to play problem is that when we talk about players being willing to accept these risks, it's not just the players who are accepting this risk. You know, this isn't like the con- concussion debate, 
because CTE is not a communicable disease, right? Right. The, you know, a college football game, call it regular college football practices, they, what they become are, you know, potential super spreader events among players. And those players have families and those families have families, you know, there's like, yeah, and that to me is why I just look at this as another situation of people just aren't able to view this situation beyond themselves, you know? And I fully, like, I would be completely on board if, you know, if they wanted to play and it wasn't putting other people's lives at risk, I would be like, okay, fine, let's do it. But are they committing to, like, just socially isolating themselves from everybody for the entirety of a football season hell no they're not committing to that right and that's why like i would say i i love blaming the ncaa and i would still give them partial blame because like we've seen ou has been able to you know they've since the very beginning when all the players came back to campus they've effectively like isolated them all and they uh, with their constant testing they have zero cases every time it's like that has been a possibility and the ncaa would have to pay a lot of money and provide those same resources to the teams that don't make that much money but like you said once guys even if you know they are willing to shell out that money the ncaa shell out that money to give every program that chance to do that like are these players actually you know they say they they know the risks they want to play are you willing to literally completely isolate yourself what happens whenever you know they they students get back to campus and everyone's going to bars and stuff are you willing to you know avoid all of those things literally isolate yourself is there there's not really a possibility where they make every team even make a 53 man roster like the nfl like it is just not going to happen without this disease being so communicable and and, even yeah go ahead Well, and even if you had, you know, your scholarship athletes willing to be like, yeah, I won't do it. You know, I will I will I'll isolate myself like it takes like three walk ons that are like, I'm not going to play anyway. So it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? That's all it takes. Right. Like in the current in the world, like three guys just decide, actually, I'm going to go to a party because I want to, you know, and I don't play. And that's just the reality. I'm going to go to a party. College kids are going to go to a party. All I've seen on Twitter for a while now is anytime someone suggests college people not going to parties, which is a completely reasonable take right now, people just make fun of it. Like it's the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. Like I know it's not realistic that people are actually going to do it, but it's absolutely what should happen. And but we have to be I guess we just have to be realistic in this situation and these guys are not going to just stop their lives to play football for the next 5 months. It isn't going to happen. They say it is. We we get 3 months into this and then oh shit we're 3 and 8. Like are you really going to be committed to like doing this the right way? Like or are you going to be like well our season sucks anyways if our whole team gets sick then we'll just lose games which is what we're doing anyways. But like, I just, I don't think this is a realistic scenario. Um, And I I don't know how the NFL is going to work. Like, I mean, the NFL is, has, you know, significantly more resources, but like, I don't know how sports in the United States really works without a bubble scenario. Right. Baseball, like, it seems like weekly. And we have to like sort of admit to ourselves that it doesn't. 
right? Yeah, weekly there's like baseball. It's like, oh, well, actually 14 guys on this team got it. And it starts with one guy or two guys. Oh, well, they went to a club because fuck everything, I guess. I don't know. Um, And so with it being that easy, it just it takes 100 percent compliance. There's no way you're going to get 100 percent compliance. It's just not realistic. And I just so I, you know, I support college athletes trying to get more power in this situation because they've. You know, it's been a bad situation for a long time and they, you know, they do deserve to get paid. Absolutely. Um, they deserve representation. Like I get it. But in this situation, all of that does not mean that we need to just go ahead and have a college football season. You know, yeah. all of us. I mean, just think about all the stuff that like, I mean, me personally, like I work really, really, really hard at what I do. And I haven't been able to, to do what I am trained to do since March, since February, right? So you're not – like college athletes are not the only people that are in this situation that are losing what they love more than anything. Yeah. It's – I would applaud – Every aspect of the demands that we are united and we want to play have put together to the universities and to the NCAA if they had happened in June. The reality is it is now too late. All of the things they have suggested are great ideas, but they won't work. Right. And that's that's like because we screwed up because this country ignored this. For as long as possible. Still and ignoring it. When it became it, impossible to ignore, failed to contain. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just, I yeah, the it really comes back to the fact that the country has not been able to even remotely stop the spread. You know, you hear medical experts now. It's like, yeah, you just have to treat it like it's everywhere because it is. You know, like literally anybody that you go up and talk to could have it. You know, and when you're in that scenario, you can't play freaking sports in that scenario unless you're in a bubble, unless you have 100 percent compliance from players to just make the smart, intelligent decisions that you have to make in order to not stop this. And I mean, that's the reality. Like the reality of this is, I mean, this could easily be under control. We've seen it all around the world. I mean, the Premier League, you know, every soccer league in Europe. They didn't have any kind of bubble, zero bubble in terms of, you know, playing in one centralized location. And all of those leagues were able to finish their seasons. Australia playing sports. New Zealand, obviously, we know that there hasn't been cases there in like 100 days now or something crazy. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty like amazing. And the idea of it, like, all you know, all I see is either I see the utterly ridiculous the media cancel culture cancel fucking culture canceled college football total horse shit and yeah well, that just, that's just not, not what words mean i can't no. i i just i don't understand how these like brilliant arbiters of intellectual freedom and the right to speak just like don't understand what words mean. Well, I can, and it's because they're all hacks, but <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's, it's infuriating. It, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the situation sucks. It sucks for everybody. Um, college football players are probably going to lose their season. Um, I mean, now, that said, I don't know what the fuck the SEC is going to do. Like, it really seems like they don't give a fuck about anything except playing football. Um, so, I mean, maybe they're going to, you know, there's been reports today of recruiting from other leagues to play in your league for one year. And, like, you see college football players talking about, let's just do a super conference where, you know, we can, you know, Nebraska is talking about how we don't really care about our conference's decision. We're going to play football. We'll find a way. Like, so maybe there still is going to be football. Um, I am. And, What's I love when we talk about teams hopping conferences because now we're now we're talking about like on the fly renegotiation of TV rights deals. Yeah, like this no, is I'm, such yeah. a disaster. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's so it's such an impossible situation, and I don't know the the way I look at it is that I I just look at it as, as a group of kids that really, really want to play football in a situation where they can't and they're acting like every other person has in this country, you know? I mean, yeah. that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, and that in large part is why we are as bad off as we are now, honestly. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I would like to do that I can't because of this right. pandemic. That's Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. not much no, more I mean, to say about it than that. Right. I would like to be able to do what I have trained and gone to school for, you know, over 10 years now. I would love to be able to do that. And it's just not reality. It's not reality. Um, do we have anything else that we want to talk about with, with college football? Like, if I were guessing, I just, I think in the end, I think there will not be a a fall season and i hope i hope that all of these schools they look at the situation that they have created and they say we have to make we have to put together a plan to make the spring season possible and then you've got to make you got to try and make it work in my opinion like you start now so you're not looking at you know you're not getting to december and you're like hey are we going to play football next month or in two months like Start planning now, and if you know if it doesn't work out, then it didn't work out. But at least you tried your best. Whereas this situation, which still I don't really blame decision makers because I don't think I could have known that in March we would have neglected this situation as much as we have to where we'd be worse off than every other developed country in the world. I didn't see that coming either. So um, I can give maybe some kind of pass to the powers in this situation, but they can't make the same mistake twice. They have to fix it to where if there's not a college football season in the fall that they're able to play it in the spring. My hope out of all of this is that this debacle is enough of a shock to the system of college football that the powers that be and the, um, you know, the power that the latent power of players' voices, as we have seen um, ignited in the We Want to Play and We Are United movements, are able to, uh, like, recognize that amateurism is a sham 
and that this right. in, that the entirety of college athletics is built on this absurd lie that steals the value from the players who create it. And from this, whenever we are able to play sports again, we will do so in a way that is more equitable. Yeah. Well, and that, that to me is like, that's what you have to start working on, right? Like, yeah. you know, like maybe if you could, if you start working on this now and you're like, all right, we're going to, you guys can unionize and we're going to make a spring season work instead of just like, well, we're not playing in the fall. We know that, you know, maybe that would go over better than, you know, what is happening right now. If they can just say, all right, we're going to put everything we have into a spring season. There will be football this school year, um, come hell or high water. Like, honestly, like try to, you know, do everything you can to make it work. You know, the, I, you know, again, I made this assumption in, in March, but I would assume we're going to be in a better situation in the spring. I know that might be a wrong assumption, and I'm fully willing to. Your optimism is admirable, my friend. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I'm gonna be optimistic about it. Like it, maybe I'm too. completely wrong, but like, assuming we're in a better spot as a nation in you know let's say March or whatever, like. I think there's a very real chance of a vaccine being out at least a month by then. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe that's something you can pull together. But I, I know for a fact that you can't play college football in the fall. Like, it's just not a realistic situation. Um, and, like, yeah. players – I mean, there are players – and we act like, you know, every college football player in the nation wants to play. Like, there are players that have had it and it kicked their ass and they're like, you guys don't get it. You know, and there are players that have conditions that they right. don't want to do it. And like, are you well, guys? And we are what four days now removed from players at Colorado State coming forward to reveal that there has been like a comprehensive cover up of how bad their COVID situation is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's this. That's one of the things too. It's like, you know, we were talking about you need a hundred percent compliance from your your athlete. It's like. You know, maybe the harder part is getting the adults to comply with everything right. that you need to do, because I guarantee you there are a lot of adults involved in college football that don't think this is a real thing. They don't yeah. think this should be a problem in the first place. And getting those people to comply is probably just as big a hurdle as getting college students to not party, honestly, um, yeah. which is is ridiculous. And I, I hate I hate everything about this situation. Um, I've hated every time I've gone on Twitter and seen what people are talking about. I've hated it all. But like, I mean, the reality is like, you know, we are where we are. College football players are acting like, you know, a, the majority of the rest of the country has acted throughout this situation. And that's just where we are. I do want to talk about something, even though we said, you know, this was going to be a brief topic. I don't care. I, I want to keep ranting about things. It makes me so mad. The opinion, like they say, we need to have a college football season because all these players will be so much worse off if they get sent home. Like they're currently they have all when they're with the football team, they have all these resources. They get tested all the time and all these things. I don't understand why they can't still be given that stuff if the season's canceled like where is the basis for that they still have class whether it's you know in yeah. person which schools are planning in person instruction right now which i also don't think will last long for them but even if they're they are doing online 
instruction, like a lot of them, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea. Cause like, yeah, the virus is still going to exist. They are better off not being around their grandparents and their, a lot of them with elderly parents, they should be allowed to keep their free housing from their scholarship. Like these resources should still be given to them. They should still be allowed to, you know, have these things that quote unquote, keep them off the streets and keep them away from doing drugs. Like Joel Klatt likes to say, like they, right. why can't they still, work out as a team, you know, have this, this free living option, have testing all the time. So they know they're being kept safe. Like just because their unpaid labor is not making these big suits money anymore does not mean you can, you have to stop providing them with things like that is just, that's the thing that pisses me off the most about that take. Yeah, no, I can like, agree. The other reality that. to this is that like the comprehensive, testing that is available to them is only necessary because the idea is that we're going to be playing a college football season right like if you want to stay safe from covid all you have to do is be by yourself and wear a mask whenever you don't have to whenever you can't like right the like and i guess the idea is that we just like these the that absent the authority of a athletics program the players just wouldn't be able to do that but yeah no, I, well, can you blame, I disagree with the idea that the players are inherently safer um, right. on their universities than they would be at home. Can you blame, like, the powers that be in college football for not – because if you don't have a season, then it becomes a situation where the players get to make the decision on how safe they are going to be, right? Right. Assuming you don't just, like – like you said, Sam, kick them to the streets and they can, you know, stay where they are. Like, I don't know. Like, then it becomes the player's decision. They can they can make the decisions that they feel like they should be allowed to make. And then if they get COVID, it's there. It's that's what happened. You know what I mean? Like, it, it becomes their responsibility. And I can't blame, you know, college presidents for thinking that way because – you know, if they're like, no, we're going to play football and the players play and a team outbreak happens, who's going to get blamed? It's probably not going to be the players in that situation. So um, I don't blame I don't blame the college presidents for that, in all honesty. Like, I'm totally with Sam in that. I, yeah, I don't know why we have to just strip them of everything. Like, it's not like eh, you, you can't be here, go home, do whatever. Like, I don't think that should be the situation. No. Um, but I don't see anyone suggesting that that should be, you know, like it to me, it's kind of a made up problem. Um, and I, I guess one thing, last thing with this is I want to, you know, talk about the, the argument that I've seen as well is that, you know, college presidents can't, you know, say that it's not safe to play college football while also wanting thousands of students on their campus. And I mean, that is objectively true. Like, I agree with that. Yeah, that argument um, is being made backwards. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not – the argument shouldn't be that, well, if you're going to be unsafe in this regard, then let's be unsafe in another in another way. <laughs> like two wrongs don't make a right in this situation. And so just because they have students on campus and that's a risk that probably shouldn't be taken, that doesn't mean we need to take an, another risk with – a good number of student athletes. Right. And, you know, I think realistically, you know, if I were being honest, I think a lot of schools are, 
just saying that they're going to go to in person and they're going to fucking one month into the semester be like, yeah, we can't do this. We're going to go online. And then they already have everybody's money for the semester. I think that's honestly what's happening. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, that that argument sucks. And like you said, it's, it's a backwards argument. Yep. Nailed on the head. Uh, all right. So on to a, a more any any last thoughts about college football. I mean, we're all very sad that it looks like it can't happen. And I'm also honestly, I hope it does not happen like because it can't. Right. But we're all very sad about that. I want to be less sad, so we're going to talk about the NBA now, which an organization that has the resources and the capability of putting on a season, um, and they seem to be doing a nice job so far. Um, Most people know there are 22 teams in the bubble, and what we're going to do now is we're going to go through all 22 teams and see if there's anything that we've seen from those teams that has changed our opinions about how we feel like the playoffs are going to go. Um, so we'll just go team by team. We'll probably have a couple like one sentence teams because some teams are just not interesting at all. So um, let's start in the East. All right. And we're going to go kind of backwards through the standings. Um, any thoughts on the Washington Wizards? Um, nope. Yeah, they're, they're they, bad. They, they went to the bubble, and they went from the 9 seed down to the 10 seed against a team that's not even in the bubble. Right. Yeah, they <laughs> so. have not won a, a basketball game. They didn't even win a scrimmage. So, yeah, they're not good. They were never going to do very well. Bradley Beal's not there. Davis Bertans isn't there. Um, I mean, I think there might be some validity now to the idea of, of Bradley Beal maybe should have been an all-star. Um, considering how they were even able to be invited to the bubble when they suck as bad as they do. Um, but anyways, let's move on to the Orlando Magic. Any hot Orlando Magic takes? Yeah, Isaac, I, don't, I don't think I've seen anything from them in the bubble other than Jonathan Isaac tearing, tearing his ACL, Mazinskis. Can't remember. It was an, Any injury? It was an ACL. I heard ACL. it was bad. I, I didn't watch it. I didn't yeah. watch it, but I heard it was a bad injury. Um, I watched them scrimmage the Lakers. That's literally the only thing I've watched from them because they are – I think the Magic are consistently the least interesting team in the NBA. Them or the Hornets are kind of the two teams that I just forget exist. Um, anyway, Ryan, any Magic thoughts? Okay. I guess not. He may be I'll needed. take that as a no. Yeah, he's not even going to justify that with a response. Um, the Brooklyn Nets. How do we feel about the Brooklyn Nets? They have been shockingly better than you would think in the bubble, and that's not even just coming from the Milwaukee win, because like that, I yeah. mean, Giannis and Middleton didn't play the entire second half, so like, I don't even put that much weight into that. But, I mean, just the train wreck of a roster they had, you thought they wouldn't be competitive at all but like Karis LeVert has shown some good things Jared Allen has shown some decent things um so yeah they're definitely not still not a great roster but four and two in the bubble not not too bad I'm disappointed that I thought going into the bubble for sure 
if the Brooklyn Nets were at all interesting, it would be centered around Jamal Crawford. But that just hasn't been the case. And I'm a little disappointed we haven't gotten to see more Jamal Crawford. He's been battling injuries pretty much throughout the process. But beyond that, that's about as interesting as the Nets get. Um, All right, so a team near and dear to Sam's heart, um, the Philadelphia 76ers. And then probably have had the most depressing bubble, I would think, out of pretty much any team. And really just the most depressing season. Yeah, we can all agree that um, Philly would have won the title if Ben Simmons didn't go down. But unfortunately, yeah. you know that that just won't happen now. The injury bug has once again bitten the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, but in all seriousness, like it was very depressing even before Simmons went down. And it's probably yeah. it sucks for Philadelphia that this um, has happened to them because it would probably be better in the long run if they you know, could have kept that whole team together and seen firsthand, like, yeah, this isn't going to work um, because it probably wasn't going to. And, you know, hopefully those assumptions can be made and, you know, they won't say, oh, you know, this, you never know what would have happened if Ben was there, but it just... probably wasn't going to end well for them. And they should probably, you know, find a way to blow up the team next year anyway and now you know there's i'd say it's more likely now that doesn't happen because you know someone elton brand whoever it might be might be able to justify the what ifs you know that what if ben simmons had been there you know we could have made a run we hung with milwaukee whenever joel was at full strength we could hang with these teams and um so yeah it might be end up being worse for them in the long run as well as the short term of they definitely don't have a chance now. I. It was so depressing even before he got hurt. Like they started the bubble losing to the Pacers. They got lit on fire by T.J. Warren and they created T.J. Warren. They yeah they created bubble T.J. Warren. They created bubble T.J. Warren. They in the next game eked out a win against the San Antonio Spurs by two. They beat the Wizards by nine. They beat the Magic by seven. They were not impressive in any of these games. Um, so things just didn't look good even beforehand. And if their front office has a brain in their head, they will trade for Chris Paul this offseason. That is my official Philadelphia 76ers take. Um, Ryan, anything on the Sixers? Is he still gone? He might still be gone. Ryan's still gone. He might need to send him a message. We can keep vamping. Ah, Ryan did send a message five minutes ago. So he is yep. he is gone. We can at least stop commenting on it. Um, yep. But yeah, right. it, I mean, it, if, it is a move that is needed to make for the sole fact that, like, you, you might have to blow up Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid from each other. It looks more and more like that every day. And if Chris Paul can't be the factor that meshes those two together, like it's not happening. Yeah. You got to figure something out. Well, I, and I think the most important thing about the Sixers is they've got to get rid of Al Horford. Like they just have yeah. to admit that it was a massive mistake and they just have to get rid of him, you know? And if you can get Chris Paul and honestly, for me, if the, th- like the Thunder's asking price for Chris Paul would be going up in my opinion, because you know how desperate the Sixers are going to be to get rid of Al Horford. Um, so I just keep, you know, asking for more from what out of what you can get for Philly. So 
Um, let's move on to the uh, Indiana Pacers, who have been a pretty big storyline in the bubble. You, know, you mentioned bubble TJ Warren, and um, he has lit up pretty much everybody except Mikael Bridges. And, you know, I just watched him light up Anthony Davis in the last two minutes of the Lakers game yesterday. He hit some bullshit shots, and that's pretty much kind of what I'm taking from this is that he's just been on some bullshit, and he's been throwing – like everything he throws up goes in right now. And I'm – I don't know what to think about it. Okay, I'm back. I would like to guess what team we're talking about. All right, go for it. Did you hear what Alex just said? Yes. Is this the Indiana Pacers? It is Nailed the Indiana it. Pacers. Okay. Nailed it. Nailed it. TJ Warren? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we were talking about TJ Warren, who, you know, according to the NBA.com stats, the player impact estimate, TJ Warren is currently fifth uh, in impact so far in the bubble behind, I mean, literally right in the middle of the regular season MVP ballot. He is, is James Harden, Giannis, Luka, Joel Embiid, and LeBron at six. TJ Warren is right there at number five. Like, he has been playing at an MVP level for these five games. Yeah, and I, again, I mean, I know that I'm not going to sit here and say that this, like, we've never seen T.J. Warren do anything. Like, T.J. Warren is a good basketball player, and the Suns trading him for cash considerations and giving up a pick in the process was objectively stupid. Um, But... Is this has this changed your opinion of TJ Warren like moving forward as like a piece for them? Because it, honestly, it kind of has for me. And like I just look at, you know, if you look at a starting five that has Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, TJ Warren, Damana Sabonis, Miles Turner, like there's that's five good basketball players. You know, and theoretically they all fit pretty well together. So I mean, Indiana might have like kind of a remake of a modern version of what they had with like the Paul George, David West, where they just had like a really good starting five that carried him. Yeah. I mean, it, it is slightly changed my opinion of TJ Warren. I've always kind of liked him cause I've uh, played a lot of like DFS before. And so like he has usually been, especially on Phoenix, he was definitely like an empty stats with the right matchup kind of guys. So, like he's always yeah. been pretty good offensively and I haven't seen enough to see like, does his individual defense look any different or like, I mean, worst case scenario, he looks like he could very well be like a guy to come off your bench or not even come off the bench, but run the second unit when, Mm -hmm. you know, Oladipo's getting a breather and like give you close to 20 points every night. I mean, he's very good offensively and he's definitely at least proven that he can have that value, like on a meaningful level. I do want to. I want to go ahead and give myself some uh, some credit here. I want to go back to the draft process that T.J. Warren was in, and he was in that 2014 draft that was supposed to be like one of the greatest drafts of all time. It had stars such as Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker at the top, and I remember watching uh, T.J. Warren. And thinking, I didn't really notice a big difference between how he and Jabari Parker played. And I'm just going to go ahead and take that as a W because I would have <laughs> taken I would have taken TJ Warren higher in that draft. Uh, but yeah, no, he's absolutely improved like pretty much every aspect of his game. He's not horrible defensively now. He's he wasn't a shooter going into the league. He was pretty much a guy that just finished incredibly well around the rim, and now he's like hitting pull up threes like. 
you know, I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen by uh, from TJ. And I, I think that honestly, you know, if you move forward and he's your go-to scorer, you know, and if Oladipo never gets back to where he was, I think you can still be a pretty damn good basketball team if you've got other good players around him like Sabonis and Brogdon. Um, all right, let's move on. I mean, Ryan, any thoughts on on the, on the Pacers? Pacers? Um, I don't know. I I kind of feel like TJ Warren might regress a bit. Um, uh, yeah, I assume. <laughs> I assume we won't shoot sixty percent from three, but right, you know. Um, but if he goes I, from being like a twenty-point scorer to a guy that's averaging like twenty-four to twenty-six, I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah, uh, the Suns traded him for cash considerations to clear cap space so they could sign Ricky Rubio. In case yeah. anyone was wondering how that's going, apparently mm-hmm. well, which we'll get to later. We will yeah, I mean it, it. It hasn't not worked for Phoenix, so. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. What's the next team on the list, Alex? All right, we have the Miami Heat, and this has been a team I've actually watched quite a bit in the bubble, and I have become a massive Bam Adebayo fan. Um, my time watching the that dude is so freaking good at basketball. Official take here about Bam, really good at basketball. It's a pretty hot take. We'll see how that one uh, pans out for you, but it looks like you might be right on that one. Yeah, he Bam. just he does everything so well. Yeah, and I would say it's unfortunate for the Bucks that uh, Philadelphia has decided to go cold right now because I'm sure they would love for the Heat to be at that sixth seed and uh-huh. get to completely avoid the Heat until the like a potential finals matchup, which the Heat probably wouldn't get to because the Heat, like Bam Adebayo specifically, he he is like the has been the Giannis stopper this year as much as one can. Right. Um, and that was definitely I would still pick the Bucks to win that series, but that will be a pesky matchup for the Bucks in the second round. Yeah, I'm really right. looking forward to that. Elsewhere on the Heat, um, Alex, I'm not sure. You you say you've watched a lot of Heat. I don't think I've watched any Miami Miami Heat games this year. There's a stat I want to talk to you about and tell me how you feel about it. Um, okay. By effective field goal percentage, Jimmy Butler is like the least efficient player in the NBA. Yeah. Do you, well, do you feel that when you watch them? So he definitely has not shot the basketball well, but he has like – taken his distribution to another level i mean he's averaging six assists a game and he gets to the free throw line almost harden-esque number wise like he is that's where he really gets his efficiency like overall he is relatively efficient just because he gets to the line so much but an effective field goal percentage does not implement free throw percentage into the statistic if i'm not mistaken i think it's just threes and twos right Yes. Um, so, yeah, overall, like, he has not been an efficient shooter this year. Um, but he is shooting over 80% from the free throw line. He gets there a ton. And he's still a guy that, like, late in the game, you're going to be guarding in the mid-range for sure. And he's going to be the guy initiating their offense almost exclusively at the end of the game. So um, he's kind of – it's kind of just like point Jimmy, and that's been really good for them. They have shooters around him. Duncan Robinson's maybe the best shooter in the NBA. Um, Tyler Hero can shoot. Kendrick Nunn's okay. Goran Dragic has been fantastic in the bubble um, when healthy. Like they just have 
they're one of those teams that, you know, Jimmy Butler's their best player. Bam's really good. They don't have like a top tier superstar, but they don't play bad players. And that is a really, that's a really good thing. You know, usually in the playoffs, it doesn't translate as well. Um, but we'll just have to see how they match up with whoever they, they wind up playing. Um, and excitingly, Jimmy and TJ Warren have big time beef. And so that's fun if they match up in the first round oh, of the playoffs. Yes, that would be incredible. Um, so that would, yeah, really looking forward to that possibility. Um, all right, let's move on to the Boston Celtics in the three seed in the East. Um, I really have only watched like one and a half of their games. I watched them play Portland. I watched a little bit of the Bucks game they played. Um, and we kind of got the full um, spectrum of – uh, Jason Tatum in both of those games. Like he was the worst player I've ever seen against Milwaukee. And then he lit up the Blazers. Um, but the Celtics are basically just the Celtics. Like, I, I don't really know. They don't have a big, you know, you know, I didn't realize, I guess before this, that Daniel Tice is only six foot eight. So, right. I, it, I remember being like, you know, think, cause we had talked so much about, um, last off season about the Celtics wanting, uh, like a trade for Adams to shore up their bigs, and then like that Tice emerged during the season, and, and I just sort of assumed he was like good at this. Um, yeah. and he is not a uh, center. <laughs> he he is a small small center. I mean, you know, just look back to that first scrimmage with the Thunder, and Stephen Adams just kind of destroyed him. And you know, I I just don't like the matchup. Like, you know, if they have to play Philly, I don't know how they're going to guard Embiid. It might not matter. They have enough advantages elsewhere, but Embiid's a problem for them, and Giannis is going to be a problem. Like, Brooke Lopez is going to be a problem if they wind up having to go with that matchup. So, um, any thoughts on the Boston Celtics, Sam? Um, yeah, I think they are really good. They've In the regular season, they were second in net rating. In the bubble, they have, like, stepped that up, and they are, like, they are still second in net rating in these six games, and they have improved on what they did in the regular season a bit too. So they could be a team that's getting hot at the right time, and they definitely have, like, when you get to the playoffs, it's kind of like a, a stupid thing to say, but they, like, they have the guys once they get to the playoffs. Like, if you're talking about them or, Mil- or not Milwaukee, uh, Toronto right now, like, Toronto is probably – overall the better team they're incredibly well coached and they were better in the regular season but like when you're if you're going through a seven game series do you want like Kimba and Jason Tatum or do you want like an older Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam like Siakam's been great but like I'd still say the Celtics like top heavy they have the guys and they like definitely worry you when you get in a seven game series well, and I'm yeah, saying that I consistently forget that Kimball Walker is on that team. It just never occurs to me until somebody <laughs> points it out. Um, he's been good. He's been good yeah, in the bubble. Yeah. And the, you know, he was um, fighting injuries, but he's he's hit his shots. Yeah. Now, I will say that history has spoken on this issue, Sam. And the answer is that who you want is one Fredward Van Vliet. But yes. he, the, is he is absolutely. very good. Who would have thought that of, yeah. of that Wichita yeah. State well, team let, that Fred VanVleet was going to be the one to make it? Not not Ron Baker. Dude, Fred I, Vliet, I, baby. I thought 
I thought that Clay Anthony early was going to be a superstar Dude, in the NBA. I did too. And <laughs> that was that was a miss. We missed on that. It also didn't help that he went to the Knicks. Nobody nobody is good when they go to the Knicks. But um, yeah, Boston to me, it's just I don't know if there's anybody in the East that can punish the fact that they have like they're going to play Ennis Cancer significant minutes if they have to play a big guy. But like. You know, I don't like maybe Toronto would isolate their bigs a lot with Lowry and Van Vliet, and that would be a problem for them. But, you know, they do have like if Jason Tatum gets hot, if, you know, Jalen Brown every now and then just won't miss shots in a game. And, you know, Gordon Hayward also exists like he's had some really nice crunch time minutes in the bubble that I that I've seen. And I've been pretty impressed with him. But I do I do worry about their big situation. Um, I also worry about the fact that Marcus Smart is like a really key player for them in the playoffs. And if he just doesn't make shots, then that that's going to be an issue. But um, let's move on to the Raptors. Um, this is a team that when they beat the Lakers, they became the like, oh, they're going to be like the 04 Pistons and win the title. And I was really annoyed because the Lakers just shot bad on their open shots against them. And that's why they lost. Um, which has been a theme, but yeah, I, I like Toronto, like Nick nurse is, I think probably the best coach in the league right now. And, you know, watching how they play compared to like a Milwaukee where Milwaukee just executes their system really, really well. And Toronto just kind of adjusts their system for every opponent. And they do it really, really well because they have like 10 really smart basketball players that can just do that. Um, so I honestly, I think the Bucks are vulnerable to a team like Toronto. I mean, they're also beating the Bucks right now, like literally by 11 points as we speak. So, um, I think Toronto's the biggest threat to Milwaukee in the playoffs. And I think it largely has to do with the fact that they are just, they're better coached and they have like eight guys that you're just like, yeah, they're winners. They're going to do the right thing every single time down the floor. Fred Van Vliet is somehow as good as he is. Like I was, I was looking at the stat the last game they played. They showed, they showed deflections per game, and Fred Van Vliet's like one of the top players in deflections in the league. And you know he was around guys like Ben Simmons, Kawhi Leonard. You know like guys that are notoriously long, ridiculously right. long who athletes. Are guys with like seven foot plus wingspans, and Fred Van yeah. Vliet is maybe not even six feet tall. Yeah, he is so short. I mean, it just shows how ridiculously smart he is. And, like, that dude just somehow, some way, will put 30 on you. Or Kyle Lowry will put 30 on you. Or Pascal Siakam will put 30 on you. I don't think I've seen OG Ananobi miss a three from the corner in the bubble, and it's pissed me off. But that's just another guy they have, and he's yeah. a ridiculous long athlete. When I think about what I want the Thunder to be in five years, what I'm really imagining is the Raptors, but their backcourts is like five inches taller each. Yeah, no, I'm with, I am 1,000% with that. If you can put that together like a bigger Raptors, then, yeah, you've got yourself a title contender. The Utah Raptors. Uh, <laughs> did I say that? No, you said bigger. Oh. I, I named a larger species of Raptor. Oh, I see, <laughs> I see. I see what you did. Uh, Sam, any thoughts on the Raptors? Um, yeah, I think they're really good. Sam Vecini on the Game Theory podcast brought up a good point 
that um, is also my biggest concern with Toronto and that in the regular season, they were the number 13 offense um, in the league. And you mentioned the 2004 Pistons, um, you know, them kind of being similar to them defense wise. And that is that was the last team, I think Vasim is saying, that won the NBA title without even having a top 12 offense in the league. It's like if they were to be a contender, like it would be a historic thing. Their defense has been incredible in the bubble. Like Gasol, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, and Van Vliet, they're all like top eight right now. Van Vliet's the worst one in defensive ratings. Like that lineup, and that's very much like a team stat, but that lineup right there, like they've just been a killer defensively so far. And, you know, is it, it's a very small sample size, but it also does reflect that their defense is hot right now and the playoffs are coming up. And so like that, that I also think they're the biggest threat to Milwaukee and they will also benefit from the heat potentially getting to play Milwaukee in the second round, because I wouldn't be worried for Milwaukee at all. If, you know, they kind of got to coast to the finals against the Celtics or the Raptors. Like if the, if they're worn down, like if Giannis is gassed from a, a pesky series against Bam Adebayo, Toronto could definitely take advantage of them and, put Milwaukee on like an insane cold streak for five or six games and sneak into the NBA finals again. Cool. All right. Let's, let's move on to the Milwaukee bucks. Um, and I'm going to come with, with my take. Um, I don't think the bucks are going to make the finals. That has been something that has watching them in the bubble. That has changed my opinion of them. And I know that's probably stupid. Um, like they, I'm, you know, they haven't tried that hard. They haven't really had anything to play for. Um, but there's one game that sticks out to me as just like a problem for them, and that's the game they played against Houston. Um, and you know, there's not any team that plays like Houston on the in the East. But the thing that stuck out to me in that game was that the Bucks let them take as many open corner threes as possible. And they never adjusted. Like, they helped off the strong side shooter every single time that they had the chance to do so. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, like, based on kind of what we've seen from the Bucks, they're not really big on adjusting in the playoffs. They're kind of just like, well, we're just going to execute what we do. And I think that, it, you know, if you're playing a team like Toronto, they're going to find those weaknesses. And if you don't adjust to what Toronto is doing, Toronto has the shooters to beat you. Um, in a, a, a series like that. They have defenders to throw at Giannis. Like, Toronto is equipped to play well against the Bucks, And uh, that is... That's my take. I think I think Toronto's going to get the... I think they're going to beat the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And wasn't that the... Um, there was a story about the Rockets and the Nets like comparing notes about the Bucks around the pool or something? Yeah. And like that was yeah, like that uh, was the scouting were, report that exists on the Bucks. It's just take every open three they give you, and you will win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to make them. You know, yeah. you can't just be like the you know whatever 2019 Oklahoma City Thunder and do that. But like, if you've got shooters, which I think Toronto does, I think you can do it. And like, if you look at it at the end of a game, Toronto's going to be going to Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is not exactly Kawhi Leonard. 
in isolation situations. You know, I know Giannis exists, but like I've never seen Giannis take over the end of a game and just get isolation shots and score efficiently by himself. I've never seen it. Maybe it'll happen, but I haven't seen it. That Houston game, he folded down the stretch. Like James Harden shut him down. So um, I have I have concerns about Milwaukee in the clutch. I also think that like two of the guards they're really relying on are George Hill and Eric Bledsoe. And I have really never seen either one of those guys come up big in a big moment. And I, I mean, think, those are two guys who both look miserable last yeah. week in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. And, like, I think we're going to get into, you know, an Eastern Conference Finals, and I think the Bucks are going to get murdered for not keeping Malcolm Brogdon. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, because Brogdon was one of the more reliable players they had last year. And I think losing him... They're just going to get murdered if they lose before they make the finals because they're going to have a guard that's not reliable out there. Yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about Milwaukee yet. I mean, the you everything every point you're making like is I agree with Nick Nurse is definitely like that's kind of always been Budenholzer's problem. Like he had incredible teams with Atlanta, but once he got into the playoffs, like he he doesn't make those in-game adjustments that you absolutely have to do in the playoffs. And Nick nurse has proven in one year that he does do that. Like he's incredible at that. And so that's definitely a weak spot that Toronto could take advantage of Milwaukee in. I'm just, I'm still going to roll until I see it, you know, consecutively in games that matter with Milwaukee. I just think we've seen them be too good and I'm, I'm going to roll with Giannis until like they're, like I said, back-to-back games that matter that show signs of trouble. All right. Let's uh, let's shift over to the Western Conference. And I want to go the opposite direction. We're going to start at the top of the conference because I think it gets more interesting the further down we go. Um, so let's start with the Lakers. Um, have been the worst offensive team in the bubble. They mm-hmm. have shot embarrassingly poor i mean Mm -hmm. it's been bad i also think that they kind of you know they beat the clippers on night one a couple games later they lost to they hung with the raptors even though they couldn't make anything but they lost to the raptors then they beat the jazz and that was when they clinched the one seed and they just haven't really shown up since they just got tj warren I, now, I will say I am admittedly pretty concerned about the shooting um, because, you know, if you're playing on a LeBron James team, like, he's going to get you incredible looks, and you're going to have to make them. If you want to win games, like, against elite opponents, you've got to make shots. Anthony Davis has shot really poorly overall, other than that step back over Rudy Gobert. Like, Anthony Davis has to make threes. If Anthony yeah. Davis were making threes right now, they would have beat the Pacers regardless of what's T.J. Warren was doing. He was horrendous in that game. So I'm Has concerned Davis about... Has had a good game in the bubble yet? Oh, he... I mean, he ripped the Jazz. Oh, And yeah, the Clippers. Sure. Like, oh, yeah, the... I mean, the two wins have been on Anthony Davis playing ridiculously well. Um, LeBron, really... I mean, his best game was against the Pacers yesterday. Um, or, yeah, I think yesterday. And, you know... Otherwise, he's looked pretty poor, but I do think that there is a lot of LeBron's ramping himself up. I think that he is being very careful because 
he is an older body, and I know that he knows that, so he is being very careful with himself. Um, so I, I'm not super concerned about LeBron. I think Anthony Davis will probably get it figured out. I am worried about the fact that they played Quinn Cook big minutes yesterday, and he hit six threes. I'm worried about relying on Quinn Cook for anything. I'm worried about relying on Deion, Deion Waiters for anything. Right. I'm Let's worried about relying on Danny Green. Deion. You want to talk about Dion? Right. I want to talk about Dion. I am, I am concerned for Dion Waiters. Um, he's been horrendous the last couple games. This has been maybe this is maybe some of the worst basketball he's ever played. Um, and like yeah. Dion's always been a guy who played a little wacky basketball. Yeah. I mean, like I, I don't know. Maybe you look at his stints in Cleveland. Um, but just against the Thunder, he was hilariously incompetent. Like. Yeah. Just very bad. Um, Danny Green has not been a good decision maker. Um, he hasn't shot well. Like Danny Green's been awful overall. He's been horrible. Waiters to me, like, and it's it's always a thing with Deion Waiters. It is consistently the deal. When he takes the ball to the rim, he's really good. You know, we you know we joked about it when he was in Oklahoma City. Like, oh, you got to have downhill Dion. When he is that guy, he can get by almost anybody, and he's not—he's improved his finishing. He used to be a horrible finisher. He's improved as a finisher, and I've been pretty impressed with that part of his game. But it's just the fucking step-back threes, the mid-range shots. They've been horrible so far. Um, there's been some bad decisions as like because he's essentially the backup point guard right now. Um, so I, I am concerned, but like if the dude will just take the fucking ball to the rim. He can be a good player. He helped them a lot against the Clippers on the first night. He took the ball to the rim, got to the rim, and that's all he has to do. But I am concerned that we are talking about Dion Waiters, and that is kind of the story of his career. You know, if he takes smart shots, he's a really good player. If he doesn't, he's a really bad player. So, yeah, I'm concerned. I'm also concerned I like Caruso, and I think him missing the game he did showed how important he was. But that dude's not going to make open shots. He's not a very good shooter. Like, he's a really good defensive player. Um, and I, I am, you know, people that talk about, oh, he's only a thing because he's white and balding. Like, he is a legitimately important player. They're better with him on the court. All the numbers show that. I've watched a ton of Lakers games this year. LeBron and him play great together. But he's not hitting open shots right now, and that's a concern. Yeah. Um the shooting numbers for the Lakers are hilariously bad. Just abysmal. Um, it's really bad. Zero. And this is in spite of the fact that like Kyle Kuzma's been like Loki a pretty good shooter in the bubble. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about Kyle Kuzma as well. All right. Interesting. Hit me. All right. I have always kind of been. Uh, I've always disliked Kyle Kuzma as a player. Um, and he's kind of won me over this year and especially in the bubble. And he's won me over with his defense more than anything. Like he has clearly put a ton of effort into becoming a good defender. And I think he is that now, you know, he's not perfect. Like he's, you know, he's gotten shown up a little bit against really tough matchups, but like game one, like the dude literally shut down Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard in the fourth quarter. Like that happened. Kawhi Leonard was, like, passing away. Like, he was like, no, Paul, take this. I've got Kyle Kuzma on me right now. Like, 
he has been a really good defender. He shot the ball better in the bubble. Um, he's going to have to keep doing that. But, like, he is really winning me over with, with the defense. And I think that, you know, that's really the player the Lakers have needed him to be. Like, if he can be, like, a 3 and D-plus player that can take the ball to the rim a little bit, then he's, like, honestly a perfect fit next to LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, I am concerned. Like, I'm not going to lie and tell you that, like, I'm confident that he will be that throughout the playoffs. But that has what he has been. That's what he has been so far in the bubble, and that is exciting um, to me as a bubble Lakers fan. Yeah, um, I, it's interesting to see. I still, he's a weird fit with LeBron and AD, and I guess I still have a lot of questions about that. Um, but if this defense and this improved shooting is real, you know. That and he's will a make great up for fit. It. He's a great fit if that's the case. He's the wing yeah, defender. If he is legitimate, if he can legitimately play the three, then that's potentially very good for them. You know, yeah. if he can legitimately be like that guy, then yeah. Um, I'm I'm here Lakers for it. Are just, yeah, the Lakers are just they're difficult to evaluate because. Well, and one thing they have had almost nothing to play for for most of this, right? And also, they've shot so horribly, and yet yeah. there are also problems like the degree to which they need to rely on Dion Waiters to play smart basketball, the degree to which they need yeah. to rely on like Danny Green to be consistent. Um, their very real and serious need um, for. Uh, scrappy old Alex Caruso to play the best basketball he's capable of. There's some ragged edges on, and I think, honestly, I think the shooting is distracting from what the team's actual problems might be moving forward. Um, But I don't know. It's also possible it won't matter because it's still LeBron and AD. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's just the shooting is... Like, the players that they're relying on to shoot well is what concerns me. Like, you know, they need Alex Crusoe to make shots. They need Kyle Kuzma to shoot it. If they make shots, I think they'll win the title. I really do. I don't think anybody can beat LeBron and Anthony Davis if the shots that LeBron are getting people are going in. I don't think they can be beaten because Anthony Davis is – they're a really – they're a great defensive team. They're potentially, like, the best defensive team in the league when they're really locked in. And I think, you know, you would think that they would be in a playoff run. So, um, you know, to me, it all comes down to shots. I'm really concerned about that. Um, But we'll see. Maybe they have been just kind of playing chicken with this whole bubble situation since they haven't had much to play for. All right, let's talk about the Clippers. Um, Any any takes about these pretenders that we want to get off? (laughs) Um, Uh, Nope, I think they're pretty good still. Yeah, they're pretty good. I want to talk about Montrezl Harrell a bit because he's probably okay. going to win six man of the year, and I just think it's a little weird. Okay. Uh, and this is well, it's complicated for a few reasons. In part because I really like Montrezl Harrell. Um, okay. I think that he had like his presence and understanding of spacing and timing as a role man, as a dump guy, like. His, and the energy he brings in those situations are incredible. Um, yeah. Like, he's, like, he's 
a legitimately really, really good offensive, like power forward center type in that role. Um, I like there's very little you can criticize about his screen setting and his knowledge of space on the basketball court. Um, his ability to create shots for himself without the ball in his hands is really, really impressive. That said, mm-hmm. he pretty much only creates shots for himself without the ball in his hands. And that's weird to me that <laughs> this and part of it is that this is the Jamal Crawford Lou Williams award, but right. he doesn't right. make his own shots. Yeah, no, he relies on better players to get him for him. And I also like, he's not a good defensive player and yeah. you know that it never seems to play a role in this award. I think Schroeder deserves the award because he's been, you know, he's average, he's average. He's scored more than Harrell has this year. And He's a better defensive player. He's been an impactful defensive player for the Thunder. Um, so I think it should be Schroeder's award, but I do think Harrell will win it just because he plays on a better team, plays in Los Angeles. So, yeah. um, And also, I people guess have my deal with the, pointed out the oddity that the Clippers have two finalists for this award. Right. That's true. It's true. Um, I... I just am fucking terrified of Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. Like, yeah. honestly, like, the guy is just, he's the best isolation scorer in the league in terms of, you know, like, you can't really guard him. Like, he's going to get to his spot. He's going to take a pretty efficient shot. He's probably going to make it. Like, that's a, a concern. Um, I know Harden, you know, I know the stats on Harden, but, like, we've talked about this plenty, but... So Kawhi Leonard does scare the shit out of me. Um, I do think in order for the Clippers to make the run that they want to make, Paul George has to be something that he has never been before. Um, he has to be the guy that doesn't talk shit to the guy who sent him home a few months ago. Um, and I just I don't know if that's going to happen from him. How did how did we feel about the Damian Lillard Paul George stuff? Um. It's just weird to just be totally uninterested in anything either guy in this beef is selling. Um, like, I'm not about to support Paul George in his weird shit talking of the guy who did send him home in the playoffs last year. But I'm also not going to support that guy because, uh, you know, Dame has made a... Dame's... What Dame chooses to say and when is always weird to me, and I don't like it. Um, yeah. Frankly, I come out of this not really caring about either of them. It's funny that they're fighting, I guess. You know, you, you got to love a cornerback that still, you know, waves his arms back and forth after a quarterback overthrows the receiver. And especially you got to love when they this. do that, the play after they've just got burned. And that's yeah, essentially that what Paul George what is doing is. right now. Um, so you, you got to respect a guy, you got to respect the lack of self-awareness to go out there and keep grinding like that. I do love the, uh, conspiracy theory that doc told Paul George and Pat Bev to go after Dame like this so that he gets the eight seed and is in pissed off Dame mode and then plays the Lakers in the first round. Um, yeah, that I think some that's astonishing a, machinations a, some from... great 40 chess there. <laughs> I have my, I think. I think Portland is probably my biggest concern for the Lakers in the first round. But at the same time, 
shouldn't they just be able to get that spot without every team trying to lose to them? Like they you were, would, you would think that a team led by two rookies and other young guys would not like be the ones leading uh, the Blazers like this. And you would think that, you know, it wouldn't take a season ending injury from the, from the Grizzlies second year player, as well as like you said, every team yeah. giving the Blazers wins for them to be in this well, right. position. But, and like Dame has been fantastic in the bubble. I think Nurkic has been better than we could have ever dreamed. He would have been in the bubble. Yeah. And they still lost to the Clippers that wanted to lose to them. They right. still, yeah. they barely beat the Grizzlies who have been horrible in the bubble. Like they're just eking out these close wins against teams. Like they barely beat Philly yesterday who didn't have Joel Embiid or Simmons. Like, so why, why are the Lakers so concerned about this Portland team? That Skinny apparently mellow. people think is more good. Skinny yeah. mellow. Right. Skinny mellow and Gary Trent, who's hitting 80% of his shots. Good God. Yeah. Gary Trent has pissed me off, man. <laughs> that dude. Like, we're talking about T.J. Warren. Him and T.J. Warren are, like, the all-bubble two and three. Like, Jesus. Right. Well, I love um, – it was uh, Matt Moore's take about Gary Trent. It's like, I think we just have to accept who this is he is. And it's, like, the greatest shooter in history, Gary Trent Jr.? Yeah. Like, no, is that the what we're saying? The dude is shooting, like, 60% from three in the bubble. Like, he is – I, I swear I haven't seen him miss. Like I yeah, he's I shooting not... 57% from three on the most volume of anyone up here on 8.5 attempts. 57% yeah. on 8.5 attempts a game. That is unreal. Yeah, that, right. that's, <laughs> that, perfectly would, that willing... would lead you to the like the greatest shooting season of all time, probably. Yeah. I don't know I'm what perfectly... Steph's numbers in 2016 actually were, but... I'm perfectly willing to accept that he's like a 40% three-point shooter and a good defender. He's a really good basketball player, but he's been playing at like a fucking all-star level right now. That is not who Gary Trent is. Um, so, good Lord. Fuck off with I, – I don't like Portland. I, I want to like Dame, but he's also like hurt me too many times, so I can't like Dame. I'm never going to uh, like Dame after he said that he was thinking about Seattle when he hit that shot because no, you weren't. Yeah, 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 right. Um, I don't like Paul George. Like, th- with that beef, it was just, like, two people that I'm like, you, I don't like either one of you. I think Dame has better legs to stand on because yeah. Dame handle Dame handles his own business. If, if the Clippers wind up accomplishing anything, it's just going to be Paul George saying, hey, Kawhi, will you go do this for me, please? Like, right. that's literally what it's going to be. Yeah. So, and at least Dame... I like, think that's where we stand on the Clippers, right, is that... Right. The, the primary, like, deciding factor is, is Kawhi Leonard, like, able to literally just turn off, like, the laws of reality whenever he feels like it and just take the ball from you and score from wherever he wants when he so desires? Yeah. Because he's, well, like, that- probably the player most equipped to do that in a playoff situation. Um, and that could invalidate literally everything else, or it could not. Right. I yeah, do no, also I mean, hate – go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say I hate the you switch teams argument that Dame is making on Paul George. Like, dude, who gives a fuck? Go switch teams. Like, you're you're not high and mighty because you're going to stick it out in the team that with the team that drafted you and never win anything and also have, like, the biggest contract in the league. Like, you're, 
You're not, don't act like you're some selfless guy staying somewhere. Like you have, sure, you might be a little more selfless to stay in the place and try and win a, a title for the team that you've grown with. But like, there are other motivations to get you to stay with the team that you're with. And if a guy like wants to go to a team where he has a chance and doesn't want his legacy to be talked about, like it's a sham because he didn't win a title, like just what I, it's fine. What Go I will in. say about this, if he were talking to anyone other than Paul George, I would agree. But to me, Paul, Paul George, George has is, been kind of weird and flaky. He is like the yeah, fake, that's, he is the fakest superstar in the NBA. So I'm totally fine with Dame saying that. That, that is a fair point for sure. Like Paul George complains. He want like talking about Paul George. A last year. After Dame hit that shot over him, he all he would talk about was that it was a bad shot, which, sure, but at the same time, why would you say that? He hit it over you. Just deal with it. Um, I will never forget back when in his Indiana days when C.J. Miles took this wide-open three that would have won a game, and Paul George went and threw him under the bus in a post-game press conference. Um and saying that I have to be the one to take that shot, even though at that point he'd never hit a game-winning shot in his career. Um, and then a year later, he's, like, forcing his way out of Indiana. Like, yeah. I don't – I Paul George is a fake – is just a fake person, so I don't have any problem with him getting shit on for that. Um, you know, But in general, I think I do agree with, with Sam that, like, I don't, I don't see this, like – moral high ground for staying in one spot like no it doesn't it a lot of money great yeah it doesn't really exist um but if there was a guy to point this out about it is probably the guy who forced himself off two teams in three years all fair points vis-a-vis paul george although he did at least both teams, you know, when he left, he didn't absolutely screw them. So No, I, he improved their fortunes for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Which, what, is it, what does that say about Paul George? <laughs> Selfless. <laughs> Even the teams he's not going to be on anymore, he's trying to make them better. It's just, it's just interesting to me that the two teams that he's left have gotten better after he left them. Huh. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. So, um... We All right, can dive into a deeper thesis on that later. Yeah, yeah, we'll go into that later. Um, let's go. Let's go to Denver. This this is a weird basketball team. You know, they've they've played the huge lineups because all their guards have been either coronavirus or hurt. They played an amazing double overtime game against the Jazz and won. Jamal Murray was awesome. Um, is this the year that the Denver Nuggets break through in the playoffs? No. Okay. That was exactly the content and inflection my answer was going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's neat. They're neat. They're interesting. It's uh, you know a remarkable story of perseverance. Um, Jokic is really good. Um, Michael yep. Porter Jr. is way better than Karma should allow him to be at this. Right. Um, now that's that's been the most disappointing thing to me is that. You got Michael Porter Jr. saying dumbass shit and then lighting teams up like that's kind of sucked. I haven't. Enjoyed it's that. also disappointing because I always wanted to like Michael Porter Jr. Like I, I kind of like the style of of play that he is. Um, and then obviously for personal reasons, did not want to like him at all. And now, like you said, he's just cooking people right now. So it's uh, yeah. it's very conflicting to see. I mean, and that. 
good lord, that changes a lot for them. Like if they if they move forward with Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. and and Nikola Jokic, like that's that's pretty good. That's that's a pretty good young core that not a lot of teams have. So, and that's the thing with Denver is that like we're talking is this the year of the breakthrough? This is literally I think the second year that they've made the playoffs and. You know, they're not really they're still on schedule. Like if they win a first round series this year and lose in the second round of the Clippers, that's fine. You know, like it's not a big deal. Jokic is still young, even though he plays like a 40 year old man, like he's still a young guy. So, you know, I don't I don't think it'd be bad for Denver to lose in the second round this year. No, I just it's it's just fun to see him take those like moving wrong legged step backs. Yeah. Um, he's he's just a wacky guy. What a yep. what a odd style of play he has. It's Can very I? Fun. I wanted to talk about him in relation to the Thunder. I. Yeah. How the fuck can Stephen Adams not figure out Nikola Jokic? Like it's so weird. It's so he, weird. Like you would think a player like Stephen Adams would theoretically be the perfect person to put on Nikola Jokic, and Nikola Jokic roasts him every single time they play. Um I would I would love to study this in more detail because you're correct. Um like yeah. the only like Jokic is a player who is not going to be afraid of Steven's physicality for one. Right. Um and he also brings a degree of skill that other like there's not many players who are willing to push back against Steve and are also more skilled than him. Yeah. It's just about the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah, it's it's just wild. Like he's I mean, Jokic is amazing. He's maybe the best center in the NBA. I don't know if you want to, you know, between him and Embiid, but like God, you know, Adams' reputation is as this really good defensive player who's stronger than everybody, and I don't know. I, I've I've kind of wondered with Adams because he gets lit up by Jokic and Nurkic just every single time. It's like the two guys that can match his strength. He just doesn't know what to do with them. And it, it's been weird to watch over the years. So um, yeah. let's talk about a team that does not have a center that can light Steven Adams up. And that is obviously the Houston Rockets whose no, center is have a center at all. Yeah. Like offensively, their center is Russell Westbrook. So that's, um, kind of tells you about that team. Um, and right now they are the the four seed with the Thunder being in the five seed. So obviously yeah. that would be an explosive first round series from a storyline standpoint. Incredible. I want to talk about this idea that the Thunder are in for it because they haven't played the Roco Rockets. All right. Hit me with your what is your take on this? What do any of those words mean? The Thunder in for it because they haven't played the Roco Rockets? Yeah. What do people mean when they say that? I think, I mean, I think the main thing is that they think that Steven Adams will get played off the court um, in this situation. And I don't think that's true, first of all. I think, Um, like, when people say, the thing I think about when people say that is, and this was a warm-up game. But Steven Adams making Daniel Tice look like a goddamn fool. Right? Right. 
Like, yeah. If you go small against Steve, like that's probably the wrong. Like as we just talked, like the guys who can do it against Steve are bigger than him, or at least right. can match his physicality. PJ Tucker well, is really good at what he does, but yeah. like uh, uh, Stephen Adams, who is moving the way Stephen has moved in the bubble, is not guardable by anyone on the Houston Rockets presently. Right. Well, and I think the deal with Steve, if you're going to play him off the court, you've got to have like multiple guards that can just make his life hell like the Blazers did last year. And the Rockets have and guard. They have one of those guys that can make his life hell because Westbrook can't shoot. Like Mm -hmm. you could put Steve on Westbrook if you have to. I think that that, I think that now that this matchup is basically set in stone, right? Can, can the Rockets catch the Nuggets at all? Um, let's look. They are two games behind the Nuggets. So I would say, I think, how many have they both played in the bubble so far? The Rockets have played five games, and the Nuggets have played five games as well. So theoretically, they could. Um, if they win out and the Nuggets lose out, they would be a game ahead, I believe. Or, yeah a game and a half ahead or so, but, um, so yeah, they could, depending on how it all shakes out. I, I mean, I think this will be the matchup because I don't think Utah is going to catch Oklahoma city and I don't think Houston will catch Denver. I mean, maybe they will. And you know, if the thunder get Denver in the first round, fine, that's cool too. We'll probably lose, but Dallas really got screwed. Just looking at this by playing more games than everybody else before the bubble, because they have, they're sitting at 43 wins with the Jazz and the Thunder, but they yep. also have three more losses than the Thunder already has by virtue of playing more playing games more. prior to March 11th or whatever the date was. Yeah. Yeah, they did get screwed in that exchange. But for the for purposes of, of this conversation, I think the Thunder will play the Rockets. Um, Is that the matchup the you wanted to see for win. the Thunder? I mean, I... Obviously, I would have liked to see the Jazz. I mean, that's the easiest matchup. Right. Um, I think the Jazz were probably always going to fall to six. So I would probably – I probably give the Thunder a better chance of beating the Rockets than the, the Nuggets because I just don't think we have any answer for the for Jokic. And I think that, you know, if Russ becomes playoff Russ, then you can beat the Rockets. Yeah, I agree. And petty playoff Chris Paul is probably uh, one of the best versions of Chris Paul we could see. And he's like one of the best versions of a player that can get Russ to become an idiot. Right. You know? So, I mean, I, I would I would favor Houston because they have Harden. They have the best player in the series. Um, Man, I, I would, would just love to see Russ. Yeah, I would just love to see Russ full speed bricking layups for a different team in the playoffs. <laughs> that would be... Yeah. That would be very choice. That would be fantastic. So, um, all right, let's move on to the Thunder. Um, I don't want to talk a lot about them because we kind of have. I do want to give a quick shout-out to Darius Baisley because that dude is showing some stuff, and it's got me a little bit excited about the future. Um, how good can Darius Baisley be? Well, there are three rookies in Thunder history who have ever recorded back-to-back 20-point games. 
I bet I can guess all three of them. Um, I'm Terrence Ferguson. Yes. Yeah, Samaj Christian. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got the guys. And Damanis Sabonis. Damanis no, Sabonis. That's no, probably a KD, Russ, and Harden, right? Oh. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably that's probably Dude. the group that he joined. So what we're saying is <laughs> no, Darius oh, Baisley's going to win an MVP. Yeah, to establish something, KD never did that. The three players oh. are Russ Harden and Darius Baisley. I was say that, yeah, the I was say the tweet I saw was four in the history yeah. of Oklahoma City. I got you. I'm there. Yeah, because I forgot that KD did not play in Oklahoma City his rookie year. My bad. Um, but I think we we can establish that Darius Baisley's probably going to win an MVP uh, based <laughs> on what we've on what we've seen. Like I just every game like. He hit a couple step back threes. He had he attacked a closeout and hit a pull up mid range shot today. He hit a pull up three today. He's doing stuff and he still can't finish around the rim at all. Uh, but he's getting there in a more graceful way, is what I will say. Like he doesn't look as reckless. He doesn't look as much like he doesn't look like Jeremy Grant driving. We'll say that. Um, but he also doesn't finish like Jeremy Grant did. So. Um, he's going to have to get that figured out. But if he can and he keeps shooting, I mean, he's not going to shoot as well as he has, but if he could be a mid-30s three-point shooter and teams respect that, he's going to kill them on closeouts. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of him. Hami's looked pretty good. Um, he's, yeah. you know, looked like a better version of himself. Still not, you know, a top even five player on a championship team, but he's looked like, um, a useful bench guy for years to come, and so hopefully yeah. he continues, you know, improving on the things that he's shown so far. But yeah, Lou and Dort I, looks pretty great. Yeah, you can't talk about the Thunder without talking about Lou Dort, and he's been good every game. Like he, you know, he pulled down ten rebounds, I think, in their last game. The shot is very, very iffy. Like it, you know, one game he'll hit five, the next game he'll hit one out of six. Like but the the thing that I like is that he just he doesn't seem to lose confidence when he misses, and you know we haven't really had a two guard that's that hasn't lost confidence through missing. So um, I really like the confidence that he plays with, and I also like that the Duke can dribble the basketball and run like a side pick and roll. Like that's interesting to me. So um, he's kind of he's kind of looking Marcus Smart esque if I'm if I'm being honest. So I like that. So. Um, I'm excited uh, for more draft picks in the future to move on from the need of Mike Muscal and Abdul Nader. But um, other than that, <laughs> I've liked the team so far. Yeah, dude, Nader has been kind of fun at times. He's done some stuff. <laughs> he's he's pretty good. He's like my sixth favorite player from the 2015-2016 Iowa State team, but. Yeah. How like I was talking about that with a friend. How the fuck did that team not make a run in the tournament? Dude, like, they had know. they had dudes all down that roster and they, they really like did. lost in the first or second round every year. And they they had seniors. Wow. Like I'm looking at the roster right now, they had experienced seniors. They had a junior in Matt Thomas who is like an elite college shooter. Yeah. Man, He's in I, the NBA. I don't get it. Yeah. He plays rotation minutes for the Raptors right yeah. now. Like it's yeah, crazy. It is wild that they weren't better. But um, all right, moving on to the Jazz. I mean, I they aren't very good. Like they are have been the worst 
of this group of teams. You know, like if you want to lump Dallas in there, they've been worse than Dallas. They lost to Dallas today. Um, Donovan Mitchell's been kind of sporadic. Like he'll be horrible for the first three and a half quarters, and then he'll play amazing late. And, you know, I don't know. That might just be the Donovan Mitchell experience. I don't know what to think about that. But because overall his numbers don't look good, but then like he hits these ridiculous shots at the end of games that you're like, well, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. So. Um, I mean, Rudy Gobert's a fraud, and I mean that's that's all I have on the Jazz. And that's that on Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, Dallas. I think that uh, Luka Doncic is good, is my opinion. He is. Um, man, I hated watching the end of that Houston Dallas game. Just yeah. truly abysmal basketball. They are. They don't know how to win games right now. That's what I'll say about the the Dallas Mavericks. Like, they – I mean, they're a young team. I think Luka is – I mean, he is not the same player at the end of games, or he hasn't been for most of the season. But But there's a degree to which that makes it – Yeah, there's there's some sense in that, though. Like, Like, you can look at him and tell, like, physical conditioning is not, like, at its peak, and Uh he has a huge workload during a game. Yeah, um, I want to. Did you guys see his stat line against the Bucks? What was it like? That was was 30, that the thirty twenty fourteen? No, or is that no, no, the no. one with a lot of assists? Yeah, he had. I think it was thirty two points, fourteen rebounds, and nineteen assists. Yeah, thirty six points. Sorry, thirty six, fourteen, and nineteen. Yeah, but that which, game went to double overtime. Okay. <laughs> 19 assists in a basketball game. And it's not like he played. He played 42 minutes in that game. It's not like he was playing 50 in a double overtime game. That's fair. 42 minutes. Like that's a playoff workload right there. And against the number one defense in the league this year, and lit their asses up like pretty impressive. And I've been really encouraged by what Porzingis has looked like in the bubble. Like I think that I was a little worried about that pairing. Because um, Porzingis at times didn't look great, but you know, I think you know, if you look at this, you know, from player type perspective, Porzingis would be the perfect fit next to Luka Doncic, and that's what it seemed like to me so far in the bubble. So I don't think they're a threat. I mean, if they play the Clippers, they're fucked. Like they're not going to beat the Clippers, but I think they're a fun team, and that's cool. Yeah, they'll they'll definitely make somebody run. That's for sure. Yeah. They will. You'll have to keep up with them. I mean, they can't play defense at all. It no. kind of sucks for them that Luca has come on so quickly because they won't get any like, you know, high draft picks to get some impact guys. But you know, this upcoming draft, like this, do they have a pick this coming year? I don't know. I know they gave up a lot for Chris Stapps, Porzingis. So maybe yeah. They- so they'll they'll have to find some ways to improve their defense in the near future but i mean their core of luca and Kristaps is yeah. 21 and 24 so it's not like they right. have a a massive core that guys are all over the place i mean it's it's an easy core to build around because it's essentially one guy and then another guy that's pretty good too but you if you have to move on from him it's not the worst thing in the world like they have you just have so many options when you have when your core is a guy like luka Doncic. yeah, yeah. And also, like, you look at their team and you 
like their late game struggles make sense to you because this is just a team that has not played a lot of winning basketball. Just it's made up of players who have not really touched winning basketball, except I guess for Luca, who like (laughs) played a lot of really meaningful Euro league basketball. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the Mavs are good and, and the, for the first 40 minutes of a game, they're actually fun too. Yep. Yeah, right. it's going to suck Moving not on. being able to hate the Mavs because they've, like, historically are one of my least favorite teams yeah. in the league. Well, you, we can still, like, observe how white they are, right? We can do that. Yeah. We can also observe, like, the, you know, the history of their um, front office yeah. problems. That, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, not they're, great. Yeah. Ooh. So, um, anyways, let's move on to a team with fewer of those problems. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, who have their own problems in that they just lost their second best player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was having a blast watching Jaron Jackson. I didn't realize until recently that that dude was shooting as many threes as he has been. And he is, like, shooting 40% on, like, seven attempts a game. Like, that's elite territory. Like, him and Towns are, like, the best big man shooters in the league right now. Um so I, I wasn't totally aware of that coming in, but I had a lot of fun watching him. I really like Brandon Clark, unfortunately, um, but they're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, they just they don't have the experience. Um, I also think that Dylan Brooks is one of the worst players I've ever seen. I hate that guy. <laughs> I hate watching that guy play basketball. He shoots it every time he touches it, and it makes me so mad. I can't. I don't know how John Morant hasn't just like kicked him. Like it's ridiculous, <laughs> man. Just go up and kick him in the shin. Like he deserves shin kicks for the stupid ass shots that he takes. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't like Jonas Valanciunas, but any any Memphis Grizzlies takes? Um, um, not really. I, no. I still like Brandon Clark. Yeah, I am. Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson okay. Jr. is a really good front court, and I'm mad that their front court is so good. All right, Sam, you're a young basketball team, up and coming. You required a late first-round pick in the 2019 NBA draft. Knowing what we know now, who are you taking between Darius Baisley and Brandon Clark? Yeah, I, I saw your tweet. I think I'm still going uh, Brandon Clark for now. Okay, that was that tweet was one thousand percent directed at you. I just that's why I didn't like it. You were the you were the only person that I had had in mind when I tweeted that. So that's why I didn't like um, it. All right, you are you are entitled to maintain your wrong opinion, but it's fine. What were Brandon uh, Clark's shooting numbers this year? Thirty-seven point seven percent from three. Not bad if he can keep that up. If he can even stay around thirty-five percent from three. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll take I'll take Brandon Clark every okay. day. All right, he's he is also like 25 years old, but it's fine. It's fine. 23. Is he only 23? Okay. 23 years old. Suck my dick. How old is Darius Basley? <laughs> Probably 19. Maybe 18. Interesting. Interesting. I, will, I do. I also do want to point out that Brandon Clark is is going to be 24 in like a month. Uh, well, so. NBA.com doesn't show me the decimals. So. Is, um... How many uh, back-to-back 20-point double-doubles does Brandon Clark have? Have to look it up, but I, I'm going to guess not as many as Darius Baisley. <laughs> oh. 
No, I, what I'll say, well, Brandon Clark is an unbelievable finisher around the rim. Like, the dude just doesn't miss when he's around the rim, and that's, that's impressive. But I'll take the potential of Baisley, because yeah, what Baisley can be is is better than Clark. Yeah, Baisley is definitely the upside play for sure. I just think Brandon Clark is an incredibly smart player. You know what you're going to get from him. And the floor is super high, and especially you know at, yeah. at where they were drafted, I would love to have Brandon Clark on my team. Okay, let's move on. I don't want to talk about Portland because we already did. I don't like them. I hope they miss the playoffs. All right, let's move on to the Spurs. Um, I don't probably, like them. I hope they miss the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, they're not interesting at all. DeMar DeRozan has had some really good games. Um, I do kind of like Derek White, but he's old. Uh, I don't – I'm kind of out on DeJounte Murray at this point, to be honest. Like, I just he did, don't he really see – He did something see... in the bubble that was uh, pretty dumb. What did he do? I remember – I'm thinking, like, a specific play maybe, so it's probably a, a horrible thing to bring up. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it was it was all. something something to do with the Sixers game. I can't remember. Might have thrown away an inbound pass to um, okay. give up a dumb play, something like that. But yeah, he hadn't looked great recently. Interesting. Interestingly enough, I just realized Dejounte Murray and Brandon Clark were born on the exact same day. Wow. I just Bloody's. looked that up. So interesting. Um. Okay, so moving on from the San Antonio Spurs, um, let's talk about the Sacramento Kings, the team that didn't draft Luka and looks really stupid for not doing so. Um, they're terrible. I think Luke Walton's a bad basketball coach. I do like De'Aaron Fox. I wish Buddy were on a different team. Like, Buddy's kind of moving into the prime of his career. I would like that to be on a good team, and I just – I. I'm kind of pessimistic about how that's going to go. Yeah, especially with that new contract. Like, yeah. happy for the guy getting paid, but, uh, you know, 27-year-old guy that has one skill. He's probably going to be 28 soon. I don't know exactly how old he is, but, yeah, a guy that's um, definitely on uh, approaching, Man, the, yeah, approaching the top of his career, which, you know, he is a shooter, which theoretically you can do for a long time. Um, but it's, yeah. it's harder to justify a shooter being out there when they can't do the other things like play defense. And that will theoretically just continue to get worse, um, over the years. And so I'd love to see him succeed, but yeah, it's uh, going to be tough for him to get off that team and yeah, feel, right. feel, uh, conflicted about Buddy Hield's uh, near future career. It would be great if. They had a better basketball coach and a better owner and a better bas- uh, president of basketball operations and better you know, city, a better stadium. So many, so many things about the Kings that it's just it's just not great. So um, let's move De'Aaron on. Fox is Second really fun, to last though. team. I liked De'Aaron Fox. I didn't like him in the draft, but he's proven me wrong. So. Congratulations, Marvin. At least you were right about uh, Justin Jackson and was Harry Giles the other guy from that draft? Yeah. I think Man, so. the Kings to have been right about those two. Oh God, just thinking about the Kings really mm-hmm. it's like giving me a migraine. Um yeah, next team. Yeah. All right, so 
Let's go to the New Orleans Pelicans, who are they're eliminated now. Okay, Probably well, the most this is not helping team. me feel better. Yeah, I I have concerns about New Orleans moving forward because I think it was Matt Moore talking like they don't seem to like each other very much, and I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about. If they if they aren't a winning environment, I'm concerned about Zion Williamson developing defensively the way that he should. Yeah. Like, poten- like he has the potential to be an elite defensive player. We saw it in college, but he needs to be in a good situation that cultivates good habits defensively. And I am concerned about that. Yeah, they I should also- be better, right? Yeah, they should, and they just look dead this entire i mean i know that you know the williamson was on the the minutes restriction and whatnot but like Derek favors looked like he retired two years ago like he looked horrible lonzo ball was terrible lonzo ball's the worst finisher at the rim i think i've ever seen um he does a lot of nice things he makes some amazing transition passes but the dude just can't finish at the rim once he's inside the three-point line he's useless and he shoots like 50% from the free throw line. So it's just like, that's a concern for them. Yeah. Um, if I were them, honestly, I would trade Drew Holiday. I know that they have like aspirations, but like I would just lean into being a really young team. And you don't need a 30-year-old Drew Holiday on that no. team. Start Josh Hart, Josh Hart at the two. Have him yeah. on the offense. Let Lonzo just stand in a corner and make cool transition passes. Um, yeah. Go, go get... Go get another young piece and just lean into the young. If you're bad next year, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. like let Zion develop. Like I, I just. Here's the question. Should they fire Alvin Gentry? I think so. Honestly, like they I, were. Well, I think I agree, but also not because like not for like the soccer reason that you would fire Alvin Gentry. Right. Like yeah. not because of this year, but because I don't think his philosophy will be very helpful to them moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think it'll help Zion. Like I think that they need a guy that is gonna like they need a guy that's gonna teach Zion how to play defense. And I I have I'm skeptical of Alvin Gentry's ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I I do kind of like wonder about you know I think Zion's gonna be amazing. He's gonna be fantastic. I do wonder about Brandon Ingram. Like, is this guy actually, like, a winning player? How do we feel about that? I think I, so. I think he can be. Okay. Yeah. I think He's just been so good this you, year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the deal is, like, he was really, really great, and they weren't winning games. And then Zion came in, they started winning games, and he wasn't as good. Yeah. That's my I, concern. I... I would not give up on him because, like, the dude has a skill set that you just can't find. And he improved mm-hmm. to be an 85% free throw shooter this year. Like, he improved at, a, like, an alarming rate this year. So, like, I would keep him. Like, there's no doubt about it. But, like, the dude, it's another guy that he's going to have to learn how to play defense. Like, they just yes. they need to get better at defense. They yeah. were so bad. It's, it was infuriating. And I said this to you guys, but this is a team that has Jeru Holiday and Lonzo Ball in the backcourt. That is starting Derek Favors at center. Um, that has like Brandon Ingram is like twelve feet long. Yeah. Why are they so bad at defense? Yeah, it makes it it made no sense. And and that that to me is the concern with Gentry. Like, 
they need someone that's going to teach them how to play defense and not run a stupid offensive system. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I would probably move on from, from Gentry. Yeah. Um, I also but, just don't want Zion to die. Yeah. yeah. That's and the beauty I, of it. Even like with the what I said about Dallas, even more so with New Orleans. I mean, Zion's 19. Brandon Ingram's 22. Lonzo is 22. Like you, you are so young. You have such a yeah. window, and like, is they, Josh Hart like twenty four? How old is Josh? Yeah, twenty five on no, NBA. Is that still? So, yeah, that's yeah, that's but I mean, young. young enough. No, yeah. These, I mean, Nikhil Alexander Walker looked good in spurts. Twenty one. Jackson Hayes is twenty. Like you are so young, and I get understanding. I understand like wanting to maybe make a push this year. You signed JJ Redick. You still have Drew Holiday. He's thirty. Yeah. Um, Etwan Moore is a serviceable player at thirty one, but like it's okay to play for the future. Like have, you don't need this like uh, immediate gratification, like give it some time, get the right guy for these people to develop. I do think that aspects in the management and front office were very happy about the immediate gratification. And I do think that that um, probably conflicted with a lot of like the desire to ensure that they don't ruin Zion Williamson and, two years right like i think there's some friction there i think there's also friction between alvin gentry who doesn't want to be fired um and the desire to play like a phenom rookie um more than his body is capable of doing right now um i think that they yeah i think they need a coach who will slow them down who will teach them how to play defense and who will institute a system in which these guys can learn to like each other they can learn because i don't and this is the ultimately the thing about the Pelicans that annoys me is that I don't think they should be bad because I feel like a lot of their skill sets are very complementary. I don't understand why Brandon Ingram gets worse when Zion is on the court. I, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't really understand um, why it is that like Josh Hart and Brandon Ingram aren't and Zion too. Like that's enough playmaking in like the wing in the front court that like Lonzo shouldn't have to be driving to the rim ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm to me with Lonzo, so much of it has to do with expectation of what he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that that was a misevaluation, honestly. Right. And I think that the fact that he came into the league as a point guard and like looking back on it, like what the fuck were the Lakers thinking and taking a guy that's like an off ball role player over a guy like Jason Tatum? Like there's Very just no um, no yeah. situation that should have ever been the case. Yeah, but it is a good it was thing also the Magic Sixers messed that. up massively more than they did, right? Yeah, yeah, for real. For because real. otherwise they would like there's just no what chance in hell that anyone would forgive them for drafting Lonzo over Tatum. Um, let's um, last team. Last, last team. team. Let's move on from the Pelicans. Phoenix Suns, only undefeated team in the bubble right now. They have won five games. I think they might have won their sixth game this they year. They won their sixth, today. sixth game yeah, today six against Chris Paul they were the team, and the country club. They were the team that, you know, them and the Wizards, they were the team that everybody looked at and said, why are they here? They should not be here. Right. And people and, were right about the Wizards. Right. Well, of course – but they've played great basketball. 
I've always been a massive hater of Devin Booker. He's made me into a believer, like just watching him in these games. DeAndre Ayton is making them look slightly less stupid. They still look stupid, to be clear, for not taking Luka. There's really no coming back from that. But DeAndre Ayton, at least, unlike Marvin Bagley, looks like a really good NBA basketball player who's improved a ton since last year. So, um, yeah, they've been fun to watch. I've watched quite a bit of them recently. And, you know, they have Javon Carter, who pisses me off, but he's been great. Like, Mikhail Bridges has turned into, like, a lockdown defender. He's been the only guy to shut down TJ Warren, like – They've been awesome to watch, and I'm they're the team I'm rooting for to get the eight seed. I think it'll probably wind up being them and Portland in the play-in. Um, probably going to favor Portland in that, to be honest. But um, they've been awesome to watch. Yeah, um, I, and I definitely don't want to take anything uh, away from like them in asking this question. But is this real? I think I honestly think it is more real than it, yeah, I think it's real. Yes, because I do think that Devin Booker is like the dude puts up numbers and I think that he's starting to figure out how to be a winning player. Um, a lot of the things that you've seen DeAndre Ayton do in the bubble have been like intelligent def- defensive decisions that like that was always the thing for him. If he learned how to defend, he was going to be a really good player. And it seems like he is learning how to defend. And if that's the case, they've got one of the better scorers in the NBA and a big man. Like, Aiton, as a defensive potential guy, like, he's got the whole package. Like, he can switch. He can protect the rim. Like, if he makes good decisions on the defensive end of the court, he is a star on that end. Yeah, setting aside the fact that he's now stepping out and taking threes. Yeah, of course. Like, he's just a freaking beast, too. Like... You know, he's a guy that I didn't think really needed to shoot threes, but him shooting threes helps. You know, like it makes him significantly tougher to deal with. So, any takes on on the Suns, Sam? Uh, I love Mikhail Bridges. I loved him in the draft, and I was really excited when Philadelphia drafted him and then promptly traded him for a guy that hasn't played in the NBA yet because of a sesame allergy. Yeah. Dude, like... (laughs) He's really good. Cam Johnson has been, like, pretty good. This was going to be my question for you. I was going to require a Cam Johnson take from both of you. He doesn't look as bad defensively as I thought he would. Yeah, I honestly haven't watched him at all. uh, I mean, he's shot the ball well, which was if he – that was the one thing that he was known to do. And even if he can't defend, he better just be able to do that. And he's shot the ball well at least, so if he is just – passable on defense i think that is about what yeah, you'd passable. expect from him and anything better than passable is is gravy yeah well that's the thing like with eight becoming a possibly good defender then you don't have to have a great defender next to him at the four and you can have a guy who can just shoot the lights out like cam johnson and that is maybe what they have going for them yeah and if you have a guy like bridges and that can cover up for booker like that's there's a lot of good pieces to build off of and maybe they won't have to get rid of him even though Draymond wants them to get rid of Booker even though Draymond wants him out of there yeah Um, yeah so Cam Johnson you'll you'll definitely want him better than 40 percent but I mean that's still great from year four like you would love him to be at 
42 percent even but still you can't complain about that yeah i mean i it's well here's the interesting thing to me is that you look at them and you say like yeah this is like you go down the line of the starting five and you're like yeah this is kind of a playoff team huh yeah i guess my question is why why were they in the wizard spot coming into here what was why did it take so long for this to click for them the way it has suddenly very aggressively clicked in the bubble well Aiden was out for like he got suspended for 25 games right kind of threw him off and i mean there's still the suns like i mean we for all we know this i mean this might not be a thing but like you know they're also young man like they it takes a long time for young teams to become good and that's just i think the reality and I, I also shouldn't discount the fact that the West is really tough. And, yeah, you know, there are going to be teams that are left out that are playoff caliber teams. Uh, just the yep. nature of the league. Um, Absolutely. I think we need to end it, though, because we have another marathon on our hands. Yeah, this has been two hours long. Um, well, this has been great. Um, thank you all for listening to us. Um, just going right into the outro. Great point, Alex. Um, Thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, Subscribe to it on the Apple Podcast app or the Google Play Store or on Podbean. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at RWMaxi, at PURD underscore Hapley, that's P-U-R-D underscore H-A-P-L-E-Y, and at, sorry, not that Sam Davis. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, leave a review on the iTunes store or share it with a friend and we'll see you all um, sometime, probably pretty soon. Once we have some more, once, I mean, there's going to be college football news. It's going to happen um, and we'll be here to talk about it. So thanks. <laughs>